Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. Uh, you may be wondering about why the red couch up here and why we're using that for the, uh, the image in this uh, uh, series. And uh, really is to give the idea of, uh, of you inviting people that we have a place for them. And we're going to be encouraging you during this series to do that. We've got some uh, cards that we're handing out to you that you uh, received inside the updates on the way in. I've got some more up here on the stage that we'll uh, actually kind of incorporate in the invitation today. And, and the point is for us to try and uh, bring people during this series because of the topics that we're going to be dealing with. So if you fill all of your seats up out there, then I will let someone sit beside me up here. How's that? Uh, on the cast. I'm not actually going to sit up here while I'm speaking, but I just wanted to kind of make a point uh, and tell you why we are, are, are doing this, because this true life uh, emphasis that we're going into in this series that will last through the end of November is to uh, uh, actually point out that we need to be actively inviting people. And that's what these cards enable you to do. To give you a little bit of background how we got into this series, uh, my wife and I were at the Baptist State Convention last year. Um, I was there because I was working a booth for the church planning team uh, for the Baptist State Convention. I kind of work with them on a a contract basis. And uh, it was 930 uh, that night, and we were kind of heading to our hotel room, been a long day, standing on our feet, uh, talking to people at the, uh, at the booth for the church planning team. And uh, this young guy was on the side, and he kind of accosted us. He, he grabbed Becky and, and, and myself and, and uh, brought us over there. And I mean, literally, he kind of came over where we were, grabbed us and brought us over. And, uh, and then he did the same thing with another pastor that I didn't even know and, and his wife and a couple more people. And to be honest with you, I was a little bit put off by it to start with because I'm thinking, man, I want to get to my room, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and try and relax some because I also had to work there the next day. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, he got us over there, started playing a video, started talking about this organization that he had started entitled TrueLife.org. Uh, so the longer uh, that I sat there and listened to him, the less put off I was. I mean, this guy was type A over the top. He could sell you the oxygen that you're breathing right now. You know, that, that's the, the way this guy was. Uh, and, uh, and I was kind of put off by it, but then the more, uh, I listened to what he was having to say, and, and he was playing a, a video at the time by Josh McDowell that you and your small groups will actually watch later on this series. And the question that he was dealing with, that I'll actually preach on, on that Sunday morning in a few weeks, is why does God allow, uh, abuse and suffering? And uh, Josh McDowell, most of you may know who he is. He's a, a pretty popular Christian apologist and, uh, and everything. And he had written a book uh, entitled Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, Josh McDowell originally set out to disprove Christianity. And in the process of trying to disprove Christianity, he realized that the claims were valid, and he actually came to faith in Jesus. Well, in this video that they're playing, he is talking about being sexually abused as a child. And I had never heard that about Josh McDowell. And I thought as he was telling that, man, that's probably why he set out to try and disprove Christianity, because he's trying to think in his own mind, if there's a God, why would he have allowed that to happen to me? So see, we're going to deal with some topics like that uh, later in the series. But the more that he stood there and, and he talked, uh, I, I really got to the point that I was not agitated with him because he had, had kept us over there. I started getting agitated with him, wanting him to shut up and tell me how to become a part of TrueLife.org. 
because uh, I went, I was ready to buy into it. <clears throat> so that's what we did. Uh, and we're listed on their website, our church is, along with other churches in the area. Uh, they provide uh, us with this uh, card. We picked out the artwork. That's where the red couch comes from uh, on it. Brandy put that together for us. And we're going to be providing these to you all through this series and asking you to go up uh, in a non-threatening way and invite people to come to church. Because the neat thing is this, you can invite them to come to our church on the back side of it, you can say, by the way, you can take your smartphone or go to your computer and go to truelife.org, and there are all kinds of Bible studies and maybe questions about life that you ha- that would like to know the answers to. And they can watch very high-quality videos by very knowledgeable people about those topics. And sometimes it's a type of topic that they would never come to my office and say, uh, well, keep, will you tell me what the Bible says about homosexuality? You know, not too many people are going to come and say, will you tell me that? Will you tell me this? Will you tell me that? But in, in their own home... They can look up uh, these topics, and uh, and we're hoping that if they do that, they will also think, well, you know, that's the church that kind of turned us on to that information that's been helpful to my life, and uh, maybe we ought to go check the church out. So uh, that's why we're going to encourage you to be giving these uh, these cards out all through uh, all through this series. Um, the uh, the videos that you're going to be watching will not play on Sunday morning unless I decide to throw a little clip in. Uh, if you want to watch the videos, you'll have to do it in your own home or be part of a small group. My suggestion is be part of a small group. If you're not doing a small group yet, you still can. You can sign up out in the lobby and uh, show up at the time the small group meets, and they'll be playing the videos and discussing uh, the topics that I deal with on Sunday morning. In this series, it will be both uh, doctrinal and practical in its nature. And we're going to get rid of the doctrinal stuff kind of to start with or deal with that to begin with because here's why you need to have a doctrinal foundation before you start talking about the practical stuff in other words if you're going to ask a question why does god allow abuse or why does god allow suffering why would you ask that question if you don't even believe there's a god you realize that you know so that's why we're going to deal with some things like is there god matter of fact that'll be next week uh you know is is jesus real is jesus god uh you know did jesus rise from the dead so there's going to be some basic stuff that people need to grab hold of before we move into some of the situational stuff like why does god allow abuse and then we're going to wrap up the series actually talking about do you have true life and be presenting invitations to people hoping that they will trust in christ uh if they have not so that's what the series is about and that's why i wanted to uh, kind of highlight that for you today we're going to talk about something that's really uh preliminary to everything else we're going to talk about is there truth is there such a thing as absolute truth is there a standard for truth or uh, is all truth just relative uh, or is all truth just situationally based? In other words, it's only true based upon the situation uh, that you find yourself in. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about to begin with. Uh, the, the word truth appears more than 200 times in the Bible. That's just the word itself. The concept of truth, of course, <laughs> occurs a, lo- a whole lot more times uh, than that. Uh, somebody may ask this question, well, is there any truth outside of the Bible? The answer to that is yes. There are things that we know of are true that we can prove in our culture today uh, that's not necessarily addressed specifically in the Bible. You know, for instance, like photosynthesis and some other scientific things or even modern history uh, and all. It might not be specifically addressed in the Bible, but here's the thing you need to understand. It's important to remember that while not everything that's true is in the Bible, everything that's in the Bible is true. You understand that concept? Okay. So that's something foundational that we need to think about. The, the word truth, and we're going to talk about truth, let's see what the dictionary uh, says about it. And the dictionary says it's conformity 
uh, to fact or actuality. Uh, it's a statement proven uh, to be or accepted as true. Now, that's what the dictionary says, uh, basically. If we look at the Bible and see what the Bible has to say, the Greek word that's translated, the predominant Greek word that's translated truth in the Bible <clears throat> means to unhide or hide in nothing. In other words, God is, is not, he's trying to unhide his truth. He's trying to show his truth. He's not trying to withhold it from us. The Hebrew word uh, in the Old Testament that's translated for truth means firmness, constancy, or duration. So you might could take both of those words and come up with a definition of what God's viewpoint is of truth and say something like this. God's viewpoint of truth is this. Truth is everlasting and can be relied upon, and truth is always there. It's always available. Based upon those two words uh, that's used in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In short, truth is kindly doing this. It's simply telling it like it is. It's telling the way things really are. And if that's the case, any other viewpoint is wrong. And that's the part that people wrestle with because they want to, especially in the world we live in today, they want all viewpoints to be right. And not any viewpoint to be raised above another. So we're going to talk about that in uh, in detail some before we kind of go on into the message. Let me warn you up front, it's a different kind of message. Please don't zone out on me uh, because you need to hear this stuff. You, you are facing the type of things I'm going to talk about every day. You may not know the names of some of these philosophies that we're going to talk about in a few moments. But we are facing these things in culture. And to be honest with you, the things I'm going to talk about in the next few minutes, it kind of explains why we're in the mess that we're in today. So that's why it's important for us to think about. So to start with, as we think about the question of truth, the, the fact that truth is being questioned uh, in our world, and, and it's, you need to understand it's not something new because your your you're next fill in the blank there, if you're following along in the notes, is this. The question of truth is an old question. It's not something that's new. It's an old question. It's not something that's new. Look in Genesis uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent... Uh, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So this issue of having a foundational truth, a reliable truth, an absolute truth, the questioning of that was planted in the human mind, uh, even in the Garden of Eden, when Satan said, is that really what God said? So it's not a new issue. It's an issue that has grown, uh, you know, as the human race has gone on. But we need to understand it's not a, a new question. It's a very old question. The question of truth is not just an old question. The question of truth is also a skeptical question, a skeptical question. Uh, by the way, someone asked earlier, why were you doing this today and you don't have your seat and your table? Because I have some very specific things I need to say and I need to keep it right in front of me, you know, to be sure I say it to you. So that's why I've got the, the music stand up here uh, today. But, but the, the question of truth is a really skeptical type question. An example of that uh, is in John chapter 18. Uh, Jesus is standing before Pilate. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And then notice what Pilate said. Pilate said this, what is truth? See, that's the mindset that many people have. What is truth? You can't really know truth. And, and it's, it involves skepticism. It's something that, that's still running rampant uh, in our culture today. Here's the great irony of that situation that we just read. Pilate is talking to truth in the flesh. <laughs> Pilate is talking to Jesus Christ, who is God's truth, standing there completely in the flesh. And he asks a question like, what is truth? So the doubt 
has been planted in the mind of mankind when Satan's words continue to grow and still grow to this day. And the skepticism of man is expanded uh, with the issue of morality and religion, especially when those two topics are, are at stake. So to help us understand the doubting of truth and the skepticism concerning truth, what I need to do as we launch this series really today is take a few minutes and talk to you some about the history of the question of truth and and also talk to you about some philosophical systems that question truth. So let's think about the history of it to begin with. How did we get to this position of questioning that there's anything such as absolute truth? A lot of it began in the 6th century B.C. Uh, there were a lot of philosophers that emerged, and they were on this quest for truth. Later on, skeptics were even questioning what the, what the philosophers said uh, was true at that time. In the 1700s, along with the expansion of science, uh, especially the question of religious truth began to grow because people were placing more and more their faith in, in science instead of in God or, or God's Word. People began doubting anything that could not be verified through scientific formula or an observation. So around the 1700s, some common ideas about truth and supernatural changed within the world. And really what happened was this. Instead of people praising God for the mind and for the life that they've been given them, a change started taking place where people started worshiping their mind and themselves as though they were God. And that's kind of led to the situation that we find ourselves in today. Scientists were making a lot of astounding discoveries back then, and the scope of knowledge, people thought, man, that's without limit. Charles Darwin had given people an excuse for forgetting about God with his ideas about evolution and natural selection, so people began to think that just maybe all this happened by chance. Just maybe we're here by chance. And in our day, postmodernists, and we'll talk about what that means in a few moments, continue to reject the thought of absolute truth. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment before we move on. From the time of the beginning of the human race until 1700, for several thousands of years, spiritual truth was not thought of, or absolute truth was not thought of as a bad word. Because that's what people base their decisions upon. Instead of their decisions in life being based upon a a relative type way of, of thinking, their decisions were based upon what God thought, what God had to say. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone was pursuing the God of the Israelites, but as you look at cultures all across the world, all the cultures you can tell by looking at their history, those cultures were after some type of supernatural, spiritual God, deity type of pursuit. And that was good enough from the beginning of the human race until about the 1700s. Societies that did not even recognize that there was a one true God of the Bible, they might have been closer to finding him. And that Here's what Paul found when he went to the Athenians, when he went to these, uh, these uh, educated uh, people in Greece. He, he went there, it tells us in Acts 17, and, and Paul says, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walk around and look carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. 
So see, even these educated Athenians who had all this culture, they were seeking after God. And they even built an altar to an unknown God. And then Paul tells them, now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. And he started proclaiming to them the God of the Bible. He started proclaiming to them Jesus. And even though they were very educated and very cultural, they listened to what Paul had to say. So some people in that day and time might have been closer to finding God than people in this day and time. And here's why. People have stopped looking for God. They're starting looking in any other way to find solutions for the answers of their life or how they ought to live their life except looking to God himself. So that's kind of the history of how we've gotten where we are. Some of the philosophical systems that we need to talk just a moment about because you you deal with them and you might not know the names of them. So let's, let's talk just a minute about them. And please kind of stay engaged. All this stuff's important today. And then we'll get to what you normally hear <laughs> in a few minutes. One of these philosophical systems is relativism. And that's a philosophy that says all truth is relative and that there's no such thing as absolute truth. If all truth is relative, especially concerning moral and spiritual truth, that means there are no moral absolutes. There's no authority for deciding if an action is right or wrong, positive or or negative. And what that has led to is situational ethics. And situational ethics is where a person decides what is right and wrong just in the moment in that particular circumstance. Instead of there being an ongoing standard of truth that you would make your decision upon whether that's right or wrong. It just would happen to be dependent upon the situation that you find yourself in in that moment. What that leads to is this. It leads to a whatever-feel-goods mentality in our world. And people embrace a whatever-feels-good mentality and lifestyle. The problem with that is can be very, very, and it has been very devastating on society and on individuals because people want to embrace a whatever-feels-good type of mentality. Now, here's a contradiction. Each of these things I'm going to bring up, I'm going to debunk it for you because you need to be able to debunk it too. Here's the problem with someone that says, you know, everything's relative. You know, there's no really absolute truth or any standard of of morals the contradiction is this it's exposed when a person says all truth is relative and there's no absolute truth because in the moment they said that guess what they've done they themselves have made an absolute truth you you understand that what they're saying is their philosophy can't stand up under its own weight because what they're saying is wrong they're actually doing themselves by, by saying there's no such thing as absolute truth, when you say that, you have said there's at least one absolute truth, and that is there's no such thing as absolute truth. And, and that's going to be true of several of these things that we're, going to, uh, that we're going to talk about. Skepticism is another philosophy that runs rampant in our, in our culture, and, and that simply means that, that you doubt all truth. Now think about this. <laughs> is, the skeptic, is the skeptic skeptical of skepticism? I mean, if, you're, if there's no really truth and you're skeptical that, that you know, you doubt all truth whatsoever, does he doubt his own truth claim? So this philosophy can't hold its own weight either. It contradicts itself. Another philosophy out in the world is agnosticism. Some of you are familiar with that word because you think, oh, yeah, that's the ones that don't believe that there's a God or don't believe the Bible or anything else. And that is true. That's part of it. But foundationally, agnostic says that you can't even know truth. 
So when an agnostic says you can't even know truth, it's also a self-defeating philosophy for it claims that you can know at least one truth, right? That you can't know truth. Another philosophy out in the, in, in the world is pluralism. Pluralism is the, the mentality or the ideal that says all truth claims are equally valid. But see, that can't hold its own weight either. That can't really be true. How can you say, for instance, to illustrate it, how can you say this woman is now pregnant and this woman is now not pregnant at the same time in the same situation? There's a thought process called uh, non-contradiction. And in other words, non-contradiction means that two things can't be the exact same thing at the exact same, same time. In other words, it can't be both A and non-A at the same time. I'm just giving you a formula. That's what I mean by non-A or, or A. One philosopher quit this, and, I, and that's why I put it up on the, the screen for you. Uh, and this philosopher was, was trying to debunk pluralism. And here's, here's what he said. He said, anyone who believes that the law of non-contradiction is not true. In other words, what I said a moment ago, you can't be both things at the same, same time. You can't be something and not be something uh, at the exact same time in the same time and space. He said, but anyone who believes that the law of non-contradiction is not true, that means the person believing in pluralism. Here's what he said. They should be beaten and burned until they they admit that to be beaten and burned is not the same thing as to not be beaten and burned. That, that probably would help them figure it out. Pluralism demands its own truth, and anything opposed to it is false, which is a claim that denies its own foundational belief system because it is claiming that, that everything you know, has to be valid, equally valid, but yet it says, no, you can't have absolute truth. So it's, it's defeating its own purpose. In the spirit behind pluralism, and I'll talk more about tolerance in a minute, it's kind of an open-armed attitude of tolerance. Think about how much we've heard about tolerance in our culture over the last few years, how elevated the ideal of tolerance is, even within our school systems and, and, and in our culture. But you see, pluralism confuses this. It confuses the idea of everyone having equal value. And that is true. God even tells us this. We're all created what? Equal. But just because every person is created equal doesn't mean that every idea is created equal. It does not mean that every concept of truth is created equal. Just because every person is created equal. While people may all be equal, not all truth claims are. And pluralism basically does this. It fails to understand the difference between opinion and truth. That brings us to the last philosophy I'm going to talk about before we kind of change gears. And that's postmodernism. Postmodernism is the attempt to create a society that regards all values, all beliefs, all lifestyles, all truth claims as being equally valid. In essence, you might say postmodernism is an effort or an attempt to apply all the tenets of relativism, skepticism, agnosticism, pluralism, all, all together. People that follow the postmodernist mentality, they affirm that there's no particular truth. But at the same time, they uphold a particular truth of tolerance, even though they say there's not any other truth truth 
Tolerance has become the one cardinal virtue of the postmodern society that we live in today. That's the one absolute. So if tolerance is the one absolute, it's like their religious type word, that means anything that seems to be intolerant is the only evil as far as postmodernists are concerned. Does that help you understand maybe why Christianity is being viewed in such a bad light? Because the postmodernists view Christians as always being intolerant. In having this type of approach, this mindset, the postmodernist affirms at least one absolute truth, and that is simply this, that no truth should be affirmed. So once again, this philosophy is self-defeating. It's contradicting its own views. Postmodernists practice intolerance toward anyone that believes differently than they do. And yet they accuse anyone that stands for absolute truth like a Christian of being the ones that's intolerant and they fail to see in their own actions they themselves are being intolerant of absolute truth or Christians or anyone that holds the absolute truth. Does that make sense? Does that help you understand a little bit why we're in the mess we are in in our culture? Because they view Christianity as being intolerant. A lot of times we give them the ammunition for doing so. But they themselves are also being intolerant toward Christianity or intolerant toward absolute truth. Some of the complaints that postmodernists will hurl at anyone believing in absolute truth or Christians is this, especially in matters of faith and religions. They'll say, if you think there's absolute truth in the matter of faith or religion, that that stance is narrow-minded, that stance is arrogant, that stance is exclusive, that stance is offensive or divisive. I want you to think about all those things that they condemn anyone, including Christians, for believing in absolute truth. They say, first of all, that that type of truth, if we believe there's absolute truth, we're being narrow-minded. Now, let me illustrate some of this. Is a math teacher narrow-minded to say 2 plus 2 equals 4? Is that math teacher being narrow-minded, or is that math teacher simply saying that's the reality is a locksmith being narrow-minded to tell you, hey, this one key is the only one that opens this door? Is he being narrow-minded or is he just simply telling you the truth that that's the only key that can open that door? You see, the, the thing that they fail to understand is this. Truth by nature is exclusive and it must be exclusive if it's real truth. Truth has to exclude what is opposite to truth. It's not like we're trying to be mean-spirited. It's not like we're trying to be narrow-minded. But if you really have truth, it can't help but stand in opposition to what is non-truth. Does that make sense to you? All other answers other than four are excluded from the reality of what two plus two really equals. All of the keys except that one key are excluded from unlocking that door that the locksmith said that it would unlock. Truth by nature is immune to being offensive or divisive. They claim if we believe there's absolute truth, there's an absolute standard when it comes to morals, when it comes to, to, to religion and things such as that, they're, they're saying we're being uh, offensive and divisive. But you understand truth is a concept. Truth doesn't have feelings or emotions. Truth is not bound to feelings or desires. It doesn't matter how strongly someone believes that the poison that they just picked up to drink was lemonade. If it was actually poison, what's going to happen? They're going to affect. They're going to. They're going to receive the impact. The 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 effect of poison 
upon their lives. It doesn't matter how much you sincerely believe a wrong key will fit a door. The key still won't unlock the door. Truth is not affected by things such as that. Truth is impervious to desire. A person can strongly desire that their car is not going to run out of gas and they can have this strong will and say, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen, my car's not going to run out of gas, I'm going to make it keep going down the road, but what's going to happen when the car runs out of gas? It's going to stop no matter how strongly the person says, it's not going to happen. So you see, see, there are absolutes. There is such a thing as absolute truth. And yet, they try and make it sound like we're just being bigots or we're just being narrow-minded or arrogant, exclusive, offensive, or divisive when truth by its nature can't help but be divisive sometimes. If you're really holding on to what is truth, if it is really truth, it has to be the opposite of non-truth. So why do people want to do this? Why do people want to say that there's no such thing as absolute truth? Here's the real reason for it. People do not want to be accountable to absolute truth. If there's such a thing as absolute truth, if there's such a thing as a real God who created us and he has established his absolute truth, that means that mankind is accountable to that God. That means that mankind is accountable to those absolute truths. And that's why men are trying to cast that off and throw that away and believe in things like evolution because if there is a God that made them, that means you're responsible to him, you're accountable to him. And they're wanting to do away with that in their lives to where they can live however they want to live their lives. To where there's not any standards of right and wrong. There are those that say absolute truth does not apply in the area of morality. Yet let me ask you this question. Is it moral, is it right to torture and murder a small child? And almost universally, if you ask that question across the world, you know what the universal answer is going to be? No. You want to know why? Because there's an absolute standard of morality. That, that man knows even within his conscience, there is an absolute standard of morality. Here's a good question for you to ask someone. Because you see, to make a statement that there's no absolute truth is really illogical. Here's a good question. If people were to say to you, if someone comes up to you and says this sometime, there is no absolute truth. Here's what you ought to ask them. Are you absolutely sure of that? Because if they say yes, they have just defeated their own belief system. Because they have just told you, well, there's at least one absolute truth, the fact that I believe there's no absolute truth. There are a lot of people in the world that will say there's no God. And you see, they'll, they'll make statements that they can't even prove. And here's, here's why no one can really make that statement. You see, all humans have limited knowledge. We've got finite minds, so we cannot logically make absolute negative statements, and here's why. If someone says there's no God, that means that person, in order for it to be true, needs to have absolute knowledge of the entire universe from beginning to the end. No one has that. Do you understand that? Do you realize that? The closest thing someone could honestly say is this. With the limited knowledge I have, I do not believe there's a God. You see, that's the issue with the limited knowledge that you have. No one has absolute knowledge of that. Now, I know it took a lot of time to develop that, but that's going to be foundational this whole series. And it may sound like you just went to some type of class in college or something. I, I don't know. I wasn't trying to bore you, but you need to understand that's why we're in the mess we're in, because the people question absolute truth. 
Next thing I want you to get today is this, the absence of truth. What happens in a culture when truth is absent? We can get a little bit of a picture of that by looking in the book of Judges. When a nation rejects absolute truth, when a nation does not want someone to rule over them. The Bible says in Judges chapter 17, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Same statement is made in Judges 21-25. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, in a, in a similar way, the culture that we live in today, because it's wanting to cast off absolute truth, here's what people are kind of saying. I don't want a king over my life. I don't want anyone ruling over my life. I don't want any standard of morality. I want everything to be relative. I want the situations I'm in to de- depict whether I'm making right or wrong choices. They don't want a king over their life. And that's why we see this taking place. So people are, are living their lives since they don't want any authority over their life. They're living their life based upon what's right in their own eyes. And that results in anarchy and chaos and moral decline. And that leads to decline in all areas of a nation. Does it remind you of any place you live? The day and time that we find ourselves in? It brings us to living in a whatever world. <laughs> You know, whatever world is this, it's a world where people make their decisions based upon human reason, based upon popular opinion, based upon their own emotions or their own feelings. And the problem with that is this, none of those things give you an unshakable, absolute foundation of truth that you can stand on. Because all of those standards of truth change moment by moment, year after year. And you don't have an absolute center for your life to center your life upon. See, if there's no such thing as absolute truth, that means nothing ultimately is right or wrong about anything. What might be right for you doesn't mean it's right for me. And to illustrate that, if I go out and live my life with a mindset of it is right for me to never, ever stop at a red light, I'm not going to slow down. I'm just going to buzz right through. Sooner or later, my philosophy is going to clash and crash with your philosophy. And the fact that I think that it's okay for me just to speed through every stoplight, that's not a rule that applies to me. I don't have to stop. Sooner or later, it's going to endanger you and your family members and other people. If I adopt a philosophy in my own life that, hey, I think it's okay for me to break into your house. I think it's okay for me to kill you, for me to steal everything that you have. I think that is okay. And you might think the opposite. There's going to be a clash of those ideals if I try and break into your house. I have a problem with that ideal, with that mentality. Come break into my house, I'll show you. But when you're living in, in a whatever world, whatever goes, it, it leads to people, you know, just if it feels good, do it. Whatever you want to do is right. If, if we had that type of world, people would be free to do whatever they want, to murder, to rape, to steal, to lie, to cheat, and none of those things would be wrong. And there would be no government or any laws or justice because not one group of people, not one majority would have the right to establish or enforce standards upon the minority. A world without absolutes would be a horrible world to live in. And regrettably, guys, we're rushing into that type of world at breakneck speed. 
Isaiah says this. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and shrewd in their own sight. We talked about the question of absolute truth, the fact that that's taken place and has taken place for years and years and years in human culture. We, we've talked about the absence of truth. What does a culture look like if there's no standard of truth? And it's not a pretty picture at all. I say the best to last, and I won't say a whole lot, so I don't want you worrying, man, we're going to get out here at supper time because this, these last two points are not near as long as the first point in the message. But I say the best to last because the best, the best for last is this. There is a person of truth. Amen? There is a person of truth. I felt like I needed to develop all those other thoughts because you're confronted with those issues, those philosophies every day, and you might not even have known the names of those things. And there's more than that. That's just a, a sampling of what I addressed. But people question the existence of absolute truth and it has tragic consequences in our culture and in our lives. But thank God there is truth. Look what the Bible says. In John chapter 1, verse 14 through 18. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and, what's the word? Truth. Oh, come on, you can do better than that. Grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. Now stop for a minute before I finish reading that, and think about what John the Baptist just said. (laughs) The one that comes after me, talking about Jesus, is higher than me. He ranks higher than me because he was before me. You know what John the Baptist just said? He said that Jesus Christ is the eternal God of all time. And then he goes on and he says, And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and, what's the word? Truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So right there, he just called Jesus the only God who's at the Father's side. And he also tells us this, God became flesh in his son, and Jesus Christ is God in human flesh, and he's the very embodiment of God's truth. There is truth in this world, and truth came into this world, not just as a concept, but God came into this world to show His truth to us in His Son. Later on in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said this, I am the way and the, what is it? Truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said, I am, we pass over that and we don't think about it. But what Jesus actually did when he said, I am, he's making one of the great I am statements of the Bible that even goes back to when God introduced himself to Moses and he said, I am that I am. Jesus here is claiming to be the eternal God. He says, I am thee. And the word there, the little word in, in, the, in the English language, we kind of read by and don't think about what it means. But here he said, I am the exclusive way. I'm the exclusive truth. I'm the exclusive life. And that word for truth is a word we saw earlier that means not concealing, unhid or hiding nothing. So Jesus Christ comes into this world to be the fullest expression of the truth of God in human form, where we can see what God is like as we look at Jesus. And later on, we're told in Romans chapter 1 that Jesus 
validated a claim when he rose from the dead that he, in fact, is the Almighty God, God's truth in human flesh. Because in Romans 1, 4, it says, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying Jesus proved he's who he said he was when he got up on the other side of being nailed to a cross and being put in a tomb and he took his life back up in resurrection power and that validates and proves he's God's truth in the flesh. Jesus tells us the importance of truth when he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8. In Matthew 4, 4, the scenario there is Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. But this is what Jesus says to Satan. He answered to Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, if we want to have the kind of life that God wants us to have, that he intends for us to have, it doesn't come from the physical stuff. It comes from the word of God. We need the living Word of God, Jesus Christ, but we also need the written Word of God. And we find absolute truth in both. In Jesus as the living Word of God and in the Bible as God's written Word. Jesus said in John 17, 17, your Word is truth. The Bible tells us this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the person of God might be competent and equipped for every good work. What is he telling us? He's telling us that the Bible is profitable. The Bible is needful. We need it in our lives. We need absolute truth. So let me ask the question as we get ready to close. Why, why is truth important? Why is it important that we understand and embrace the concept that there is absolute truth in all areas of life, but especially in faith and religion? Why is it important because of this reason? Because life has consequences for being wrong. You take the wrong medication, it can kill you. If you're trying to go somewhere on a trip, but you get on the wrong airline, it's not going to take you, the wrong airplane is not going to take you to where you wanted to go. And if you accept the wrong truth or the absence of truth when it comes to belief in Jesus Christ and God's Word, then it can take you to the destination that you don't want to go, and that's separation from God for all eternity. The Bible tells us there's some serious warnings for not accepting God's absolute truth. In Romans chapter 118, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. If you're suppressing the truth by believing in postmodernism, if you're suppressing the truth by practicing skepticism, by practicing pluralism, by thinking everything is based uh, upon it being relative or situational ethics, if you're suppressing the truth, God gives you a warning. Later on in Romans chapter 2, verse 6 and 8, it says, Who will render, God, who will render to each person according to his deeds, for those who by perseverance and doing good seek glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation. That's a serious thing, not to accept God's 
absolute truth. If you answer wrongly this question about truth, you might miss the greatest truth that God has for your life, and that's Jesus Christ and God's forgiveness. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, it says, For this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Truth's important. Pilate evidently never came to the knowledge of the truth in Jesus Christ. Pilate, who I used for an illustration earlier, who was there thinking he was judging Jesus with Jesus before him. And you've got the very embodiment of truth, Jesus Christ standing there. Eusebius, a historian and bishop of Caesarea, records later on that Pilate ultimately committed suicide during the reign of Emperor Calaglia. And that's a sad reminder for us that there are consequences to rejecting God's truth. Think how different it could have been for Pilate had he believed in God's truth standing in front of him in flesh and blood. Instead of a life that led to suicide sometime later. Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias puts it like this. The fact is the truth matters, especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie. The truth matters, especially when you're on the receiving end of a lie. And nowhere is that more important or more true than in the area of faith and religion because eternity is an awful long time to be wrong. I read a story about this man that lived in Paris, and he had a friend come in from outside of France, outside the country. And this man wanted to really impress his friend, so he took him to see the sights of Paris. He took him to the Louvre to see all the, all the magnificent art, the paintings and things that were there at the Louvre. And then he took him later on to hear this wonderful orchestra play, this, this concert, this wonderful concert. Later on that evening, he was talking with his friend that he had tried to impress by taking him to the Louvre and by taking him to, this, to hear this great music. And his friend finally said that he didn't particularly like the artwork or the music, either one. To which this man who lived in Paris looked at him and said this, they were not being judged, you were. In other words, the art had proved itself. The music had proved itself. I didn't take you to see if you liked it. You're not the one that gets to judge whether or not that's good art or whether or not that's good music. They've already proven themselves. You're not judging them. You're being judged by what you thought of that music. Which leads me to say this. You don't have the right to judge God's truth. You might think you are. You might think you're really, really smart. You might be believing postmodernism and pluralism and all the different things we talked about. That might be where you are. And you might be think you're in a position, you put yourself in a position to judge God's truth, to judge the existence of absolute truth. But here's the deal with that. You don't get to judge God's truth. God's truth judges you. And that's why it's a very serious thing as we start this series entitled True Life that you understand 
that God's truth judges you. So why not trust in the absolute truth, Jesus Christ, today when we have this invitation? Will you join me in prayer? Father, I I pray that you've helped people to, to glean and retain things that you want them to from this message. Lord, it's important for us to recognize why we're in the mess we're in in our culture, in our world, in our nation, how people have rejected your truth and even rejected the concept that there can even be an absolute truth in an era they themselves are establishing their own absolute truths that can't stand up underneath their own weight. Father, I pray right now if there's anyone in this place that's been standoffish from you, standoffish from Jesus, they, they fail to put trust in Christ because they've been misled by the philosophies of men, by, by popular opinion, by, by the culture of our day. Father, I pray right now that you, by your Holy Spirit, erase all of that away and help them to see there is such a thing as absolute truth that your son was a very embodiment of absolute truth, that your son went to the cross and died and suffered in their place, that you had a perfect plan. When we cannot save ourselves, you've provided salvation for us by sending your son to die for our sins. And Father, help anyone here that's never ever trusted in Jesus. Give them the faith they need right now to understand that's the only logical thing because we can't save ourselves. You have done it for us in your son. Help them to believe in your truth and understand there are things such as absolute truth. Father, help those of us who already know Christ as our Savior to make special commitments during this time, to do more than we've been doing, maybe to do more than we've ever done over the next few weeks, to invite people to come to our worship services, to give people a chance to go online and and look at Bible studies and ask questions that they may have in their lives. And, and, And God, we pray you give them the solutions and the answers they need. Help us right now to listen to you and do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the band plays, and we have this thing we call an invitation at church. First and foremost, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not today? Why not understand that maybe you've been misled by culture and everything else out there, these ideas that can't really hold their own weight. And realize there is a truth that makes sense. And that is God loved you so much. He sent His Son. Paid for all of your sins so that through faith in Him you can have everlasting life. That's the only thing that works. And I pray that you'll do that if you don't know Christ as Savior. And for those of us that do, even though you were given, as you come in through the uh, bulletin, through the updates... Most of you have a couple of cards in there. If you didn't lose them out, we've been seeing them on the carpet where people didn't know it was in there and it fell out by accident. But I want to challenge you during this invitation to come and get more of these cards. Honestly, we've got about 5,000 of them. And we can get 5,000 more. But I want to challenge you to come get these cards because even though you've got two of the cards, I dare say all of us get a chance to interact with more than two people this week a chance to speak to people this week will you uh,
Will you come during the invitation time and take more cards and make commitments to go share them with others? Please stand. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church. Experience a new day in your life.